Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. It's great to be with you all this morning. My name's Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if we haven't met, it's great to have you here. That's the question for this morning is how do we walk through evil times? How do we walk through moments of suffering in this life, times when there's uncertainty, times when the path forward isn't clear? Well, what we just had read over us was Psalm 23, and in that psalm, David is going to implore us to find our confidence in God, that in evil days that we can actually look to God for confidence and joy. And the way that we're going to see that this morning is David gives us two metaphors that if we can accurately see God in this way, we will have a confident joy even when we walk through days that are marked with evil, even when we walk through days that are uncertain. And so these two metaphors in Psalm 23 are first the shepherd and his sheep, and then secondly, the, the gracious host that we'll see at the end. And if we can see what David saw when he looked at God through the lens of these two metaphors, it will give us an unshakable confidence and joy in the midst of uncertain times. So if you've got a Bible, Psalm 23 is where we are going to be at. We're just going to work through the Psalm verse by verse, one at a time. Before we dive in, though, I want to highlight my primary source. So this book here is by Philip Keller. It is A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and it is an incredible book. So Philip Keller was born in Kenya, and he, was, he lived and grew up among the, the herdsmen, the flocks of sheep, and then he himself became a shepherd, and that was his primary occupation for eight years. Later, he became a pastor, and from that insight and from that perspective, he wrote this devotional book on Psalm 23, and it is fascinating. It is an incredibly insightful book on what David was feeling as a shepherd himself as he wrote Psalm 23. And so a lot of the illustrations and insights that I will share this morning come straight from this book. So if you've read A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, a lot will sound familiar. If you haven't read it and you pick it up, you'll see where I got a lot of my material this morning. So I wanted to highlight that because it's a great book and I'll be relying on that quite a bit this morning. So Psalm 23, how can we have joyful confidence in the Lord during uncertain times? What gives us a joyful confidence in him? Well, for David, that starts in verse one. Here's what David acknowledges. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. The Lord is my shepherd. David's speaking here from the perspective of a sheep and acknowledges the Lord is my shepherd. Now consider the magnitude of that statement. Who is the Lord? Well, it's God. Well, who is God? God is the eternal triune God who existed before everything began and will exist forever. The eternal God who created everything that we see. He is all powerful, all good. He created the vastness of the universe, the complexities of the cell, simply by his word. That is who God is. He is good, he is righteous, he is compassionate. Psalm 97.5 says that the mountains melt like wax before the presence of his glory. I, like mountains are some of the most beautiful, glorious things here on earth. And the most glorious, beautiful thing on earth melts before the presence of God. That is the glory and majesty that God has. And David is saying that this transcendent God is my shepherd, the Lord he is the one that is my shepherd. Now, what is the significance of this identity of shepherd? Why is that so significant in David's mind? 
Well, again, think of God. He created everything. He knows everything. For us, in the vastness of human history, in the vastness of the universe, we are like this just minuscule speck. And it'd be easy to think that in the vastness of the universe, vastness of human history, looking at this transcendent God, that we would just get lost in the mix. But what is the reality? Though God is transcendent, though he is glorious, though he is majestic beyond comprehension, he is also near and imminent. A shepherd knew every single one of his sheep intimately. He examined each one of them. There's this intimate knowledge of the sheep that the shepherd had. So David is saying the Lord, the transcendent majestic one, he is also near and personal. In fact, up to this point in Psalms, the term shepherd is the most personal term that David has used so far to describe God. He's used terms like king, Lord of hosts, things like that. But shepherd is the most intimate, personal one that he has used. Not only that, what does David say? He says, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Not a shepherd. He is my shepherd. David's acknowledging God's ownership over his life, that the Lord, as shepherd, possesses him, that he is owned by him. Here's the reality. Everything in a sheep's life was determined by who was its shepherd. The quality of life that a sheep had fully rested on who owned it. Why? Because a shepherd guided it, protected it, cared for it. And who owned that sheep determined the quality of its life. So David, aware of this, says, the Lord is my shepherd which almost begs the question of like, who, who would be better? The God who created me, who knows me, he is the one who owns me. He is the one who is guiding me. This is acknowledgement that he's surrendering, surrendering his authority. He's surrendering his own desires in life and saying, God, you are the one who is leading me. Now, here's something interesting about being owned as a sheep. So Philip Keller, when he bought his first flock in Kenya, he got 30 ewe lambs. And what he did with these lambs is he bought them. And on day one, he took a very sharp knife and set their right ear on a stump. And into their ear, he took that knife and he notched a unique cut into each one of their ears, a unique notch in the ear of the sheep. So that as they're wandering, maybe they get mixed into another pasture. Shepherds could look out and see the sheep and immediately know which sheep belonged to them. It was obvious to everyone, anyone who looked at these sheep, that they belonged to that shepherd. Here's the reality. When God possesses us and brings us into his own possession, he places a unique mark on our life where people can identify immediately that we belong to God. If the Lord is your shepherd, it should be obvious to everyone. So that's the question. If people looked at your life, who would they think you belong to? Would they see the distinct mark of God on your life? Now, what's the response to having the Lord as a shepherd? We'll look back at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. If God, the creator of everything, the eternal God who's always existed, if he's my shepherd, if he's the one who owns me, who knows me, who purchased me for himself, if he is my shepherd, what else could I need? There's this deep sense of contentment in David. He's content in the care of the Lord. There's this joyful confidence. I, what shall I want? I have all I need. 
Here's the reality. When you stop trying to be in control of your life, you will finally experience the peace of being led by the shepherd. Now, what does God, now how does God express this care for sheep, right? So we know the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Well, how does he express this care in the life of his sheep? Well, he, David is going to describe the care that sheep get from a shepherd in verses two through four. So look there now. The first one he points out, verse two, he lets me lie down in green pastures. This is the first expression of care that a shepherd has in a sheep's life. Now, he makes me lie down. That seems maybe like a very simple thing for a shepherd to do with a sheep. Just like, hey, <laughs> lay down. Like, maybe that's how it works. I don't know. But that, it feels like a very simple operation to get a sheep laid down. Well, Philip Keller points out that there are four conditions that have to be met if a sheep is actually going to lie down. And if these conditions are not met, there is no chance that sheep is lying down. Here's the first condition that has to be met. It's a little obvious, but the sheep has to be free of danger. If the sheep is scared, if the sheep is frightened, there's no chance that sheep is lying down. It has to be free from danger. There's all sorts of threats that a sheep faces. They're a fairly defenseless animal. I don't know. I've never seen like on YouTube, like a sheep hooving a cougar like that. I don't, I don't see that. What I see is I see them running away and then getting eaten. That is like what happens to every sheep on YouTube. I don't know, but that's what I assume. So they're a defenseless creature. The smallest little disturbance can startle an entire flock uh, where they stampede and run. If one sheep gets startled and starts to run, all of them just run. They don't wait to see what scared them. They just take off running. What calms a flock of sheep though? The presence of the shepherd. Keller says that as he walked into the environment where his flock was, he could just sense the peace that they had as he, as he was their source of protection and security. So that's the first thing that the shepherd has to provide if he's going to have his sheep lie down. The second thing that a shepherd has to be aware of is tensions among the flock. Now, there is a very dynamic social order among sheep. Many animals have a hierarchy of authority in their kind of groups, baboons, animals like that. Well, sheep have a budding order where they would butt one another to indicate who is the top you lamb or whatever. So the most dominant, like you lamb that she would walk up, if you're eating the grass that she wants to eat, she would just butt you and then push you off. And that's now her grass. And then that just kind of went down. So there's just this whole budding order with sheep where they're just constantly budding one another, trying to get the choicest grass, the favorite spot to lie down. They're just budding one another. And there's just this clear hierarchy where they're constantly in tension over status in the flock. Here's the reality. When that is present, there's no chance that the sheep are lying down. Because in order to protect yourself from the other sheep and the tensions that are rising in the flock, you have to be standing to guard your own turf. You can't lie down. You're going to get butted and it's going to hurt. You have to stand up. And so they're constantly standing and being aggravated. And there's just this tension among the flock. Well, similar to the presence of the shepherd with danger, when the shepherd arrives, here's what would happen. The attention of the flock would shift from fighting for status among one another, and they would shift to the presence of the shepherd, and they begin to just have this settled peace. Keller says as he would walk up, he'd see them fighting, and then it would just all calm. They'd be peaceful. They'd begin to forget as they saw the shepherd, their, the fight that they had for status. Here's the third condition that had to be met. 
Sheep have to be free from pests and nuisances and annoyances. So there's lots of flies, lots of bugs, lots of insects that would annoy and aggravate the sheep. And as long as they're aggravated, there's no chance that they are lying down. One of the most uh, uncomfortable pests for a sheep is actually nasal flies. What they would do is they would just buzz around the head of the sheep, then they would crawl into the nasal cavity of the sheep. They would be attempting to lay their larva into the nasal cavity and hoping that the larva would crawl up through the nasal cavity into the brain and it would just aggravate the sheep to no end. Eventually it could even cause blindness. If it was so bad, the sheep would actually like hit its head against a tree so many times that sometimes they would die. Now, if that is not like the most disgusting picture that you've thought of this morning, you're a freak. Like, that is a very disturbing picture, like nasal cavity and larva. I'm sorry, but here we are. So what would the shepherd do? Well, he would create a solution of oil, sulfur, and spices that he would mix together. He would rub that and lather that over the sheep's head. And Keller says that as he would lather that over the sheep's head, it was amazing. There was immediate relief as that solution operated as a repellent against these flies. And immediately the sheep would be at peace. They'd be able to lie down without the harassment of flies. The fourth condition is they had to have good food to eat. It seems pretty obvious. If you're going to lie down in green pastures and you're hungry, you can't be constantly looking around for food. So the shepherd had to provide. He had to remove stones. He had to cultivate the land in order to provide food and pasture land for grazing for his sheep. Now, when these four conditions were met, the sheep could finally lie down and rest. I don't know if you thought it was that complicated, but it was that involved. Lying down for the sheep involved the intense care of the shepherd to be free from all these things. And it would provide peace and rest and sustenance for the sheep as they actually got to lie down. And here's what David is saying as he says, you make me lie down in green pastures. He's saying, God, you create an environment where I can experience rest and sustenance from you. God, you free me from danger. He is our ultimate security. The ultimate threat against our life, sin and death and eternity separated from him, he took care of on the cross. God frees us from constantly having to fight for status in this world. You know what one of the main reasons why we struggle to rest and find our fulfillment in God? It's because we're constantly striving, this unceasing striving to establish our position in this world, to carve out a life for ourselves, to compare one another, how we're doing, how I measure up to you. But what solution did God provide to that? Well, when we see the glory of God, striving for our own glory ceases. When we see the exalted status of Christ, Trying to exalt ourselves ceases. When our eyes see the shepherd in view, our petty little status fights begin to d- disappear. God frees us from the inconveniences and nu- nuisance of this life. This doesn't always mean he just completely eradicates the small challenges that we face. <laughs> But God gives us an eternal perspective to see those in their proper place in light of the eternity that we will spend with him. His spirit gives us a sense of peace to trust him in the midst of the challenges we face. God frees us from hunger. Literally, physically, he provides our needs, but also spiritually. Our search for fulfillment ends in him. We don't have to constantly search to, be, to find that which satisfies because he is our satisfaction. God meets those conditions so that our souls can experience rest and sustenance in him. David goes on, he says, he leads me beside quiet waters. 
often in the semi-arid climate of East Africa and in Palestine where David is writing, sheep had to be led to water if they were going to find it. It wasn't just immediately obvious where to get water. They had to be led to the water. Now, obviously, water is vital for our health. We have to drink water. Sheep had to drink water. So this was a critical aspect of a sheep being healthy. And so as the sheep began to get thirsty, if they were not led to good water, they, they would begin to find subpar water sources. It might be little potholes or things like that. So Philip Keller describes this experience once where he was watching an entire flock being moved down a mountainside. And the shepherd was leading this flock to a cool stream of water that was coming from the mountain. It was a snow-fed water stream. It was crystal clear. It was pure. It was crisp. It was chilled. And it was just this amazing water reservoir for these sheep to go and experience, to, to drink and to have that thirst satisfied. Well, what he observed is as these sheep are coming down the mountain, he noticed a couple stubborn sheep that on the path, they either got distracted or they were stubborn or they got impatient. And instead of waiting to get down to this cool, crisp water, they actually bent down and began to drink out of the potholes along the path. Now, these potholes were muddy. They were murky. They were full of parasites. They were disgusting. Other sheep had walked through them. And so there was manure and urine in them. And they were just these contaminated, nasty potholes that were distracting the sheep from the good and satisfying water that the shepherd was trying to lead them to. And little did these sheep know that even though maybe for a second that water satisfied, eventually that water would infest them with disease and potentially death. Here's the reality. Every single one of us has a longing in our soul, a thirst for something more. And we look to all sorts of things to try to satisfy that thirst. When God is providing the living water in Jesus Christ, what water source are you drinking out of to try to satisfy that longing in your heart? Is it the muddy, murky, contaminated water of the world that maybe tastes good for a second, but in the end will leave your life in ruin? Or are you looking to Christ, who in Revelation twenty-two seventeen says, Come, let anyone who hears come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life freely. Jesus is offering you the only living water that can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And yet so many of us are distracted by the potholes along the way. David goes on. In verse 3, he says this, he renews my life. This is another aspect of the care of the shepherd, the renewal of life. Now, why is this important for sheep? Well, like we've mentioned, sheep were constantly threatened. Their life was constantly in danger. There were all sorts of external dangers that they faced. They faced predators. They faced parasites. They faced insects. They faced weather conditions that could kill them. They faced bandits. They faced all these threats. And so the shepherd had to be present to restore their life from these threats. But one of the greatest threats that sheep actually faced was not an external threat, but they were a threat to themselves. There's this phenomenon that happens with sheep called casting, where a sheep is cast. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means literally a sheep is on its back, flailing around, and is dying. Here's what happens. Keller says that a sheep will walk, maybe find a comfy spot, maybe a depression in the ground, and it will lie down. 
And then as it's relaxing, it begins to stretch its limbs. And if it stretches maybe too much, didn't realize the incline of the hill it laid on, it will begin to roll. And all of a sudden, its center of gravity will shift so that it's on its back and its legs can't touch the ground. And then it begins to panic, so it starts flailing. And then as it's panicking, it gets even more settled into this position. And now it is completely helpless and cannot get up off its back. Now, this is a dire situation for a sheep. What happens is gases begin to build in the rumen of the sheep because its head is not elevated above its stomach. Bad situation. So as these gases begin to build, it bloats. And as it bloats, it begins to lose circulation to its limbs, and eventually it will die. It has no ability to get off its back. Keller says that if the conditions are right, it can die as fast as a couple hours or it can survive up to a couple days. But regardless, this is an urgent situation for a cast sheep. So a shepherd is constantly counting his sheep, examining his flock. And if he all of a sudden counts 99 and not 100, he, he, his first thought is immediately, I've got to cast sheep. So he takes off running, urgently seeking after that sheep to renew its life, to, write, to lift it up. Now pause. They're absolutely are horrible external threats that we face in this life. But is it not also true that we ourselves often are one of the greatest threats to our own life? In our elder meeting, when we were working through this passage, I'll bring you into the depth of research that we go into. Zach Meyer pulled up YouTube. And he pulls up this YouTube page, and it's a shepherd pulling a sheep out of the crack of a rock. And he finally gets it out of the crack of the rock. The sheep's happy. It bounds up for joy, runs around in a circle for a second, and then dives straight back into the crack. One of the greatest threats to a sheep's life is itself. How often do we, moments after we are pulled out of the crack of sin, dive right back into it? How often do you find that it's your lack of discipline that is the greatest source of frustration in your life? How often is it a decision you made years ago that is causing the most pain for you today? How often is it your failure that is the greatest hindrance to what you want to do moving forward? There absolutely are so many threats around us, and yet if we are unaware of the threat that we are to ourselves, we will find ourselves in precarious situation time and time again, being cast down as sheep. But in response to that, here's what the great shepherd does. He runs to the sheep and finds them. He lifts the sheep up. And it's not an immediate renewal. The sheep doesn't just take off running. Instead, it takes time and patience. The shepherd lifts the sheep up and holds it up as it begins to regain strength in its legs. Eventually, the shepherd begins massaging the legs to try to restore circulation to its limbs. Then the shepherd will let it walk. And usually what happens is the sheep will take one or two steps and then it will collapse again. And the shepherd picks it up again. He speaks gently and encouraging to the sheep. Buddy, you can't keep doing this, but we're gonna, it's okay, we're, I'm here. We're gonna get this figured out. He renews the life of the sheep in gentleness and truth, restoring its life. Here's the reality. Some of you are cast down in sin. And you're so afraid to bleat out like a sheep for help because you're afraid that the response you will get from the shepherd is one of anger and frustration and not one of gentleness and grace. 
But we have a great shepherd who responds to our sin being cast down by lifting us up, being patient, by helping us walk in obedience to him. That is the shepherd that we have that renews our life. Verse 3 continues. He says, he, not only does he renew my life, he leads me on paths on, along the right path for his name's sake. Now, maybe you've been wondering, like I wondered all week, like, what about like wild sheep? Can't they live like on their own? Like, why does a sheep need to be led? Like, aren't there just wild sheep out there and they're doing fine? Well, there are wild sheep, but here's the reality for a sheep that is not led. If a flock goes unattended and is not led, sheep are intensely habitual creatures. And what they'll do is they will stay on the exact same pasture land and walk the exact same paths. And what will eventually happen is they will overgraze that pasture land to the point where there's not even any, like the grass is gone, but they'll actually dig the roots out where the grass was and completely leave that pasture as a wasteland. And then they walk the exact same path. So there's just these deep like ruts cut into the land and it just destroys the entire habitat for those sheep. And little by little, as these sheep are on their own, doing their own thing, they are destroying the environment they live in to their own ruin. Why do sheep need to be led? Because a shepherd knows this. And a wise shepherd guides those sheep from one pasture land to another pasture land, often leaving a pasture for a week, and then they'll come back, and then they'll stay on one for a week, and then they'll come back. But a good shepherd is moving his flock, leading them to places where they will flourish guiding them along right paths. Here's the reality for us. You might be wondering, why do I need a shepherd? I'm doing pretty good on my own. You and I are also habitual, intensely habitual creatures. Left on our own, we will continue to do the same thing time and time again, even if it's to our own ruin. And left on our own, eventually we will find our life is a wasteland. But here's what we have in God a good shepherd who leads us along right paths for our flourishing. He teaches us how to walk in obedience to him, what, how to live in accordance to his will, and it brings about our flourishing. That is why the leadership of the sheep is imperative. Now, verse four brings up another expression of the shepherd's care. Here's what it says. Even when I go... Through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. In the valley, it's the shepherd's presence that comforts the sheep. They fear no danger because the shepherd is with them. Now, why were they moving into the valley? Well, often what they would do in the summer times is the shepherds would lead his flock up into the mountains, and that's where they would graze, in the pasture lands of the mountains, the tabletops of the mountains, and they would graze there. There was good pasture land, very nutritious plants up there. But the only way they could get to the mountaintops is, is, is if they first went through the valleys. And the valleys for the sheep represented great danger. The dangers that presented themselves in the valley were first predators that were hiding in the cliffs, bandits along in the, in the crevices. There could be flash flooding that came through and killed an entire flock. There could be weather events that killed the flock. There was a lot of danger in the valley. But the shepherd was with them, and with the presence of the shepherd, there was no fear. Now notice one of the grammatical shifts in verse 4. Up to this point in verses 1 through 3, David has been referring to God in the third person. 
He makes me lie down. He renews my life. He leads me on the right path. What is the way that, G, that David describes God in verse four? It shifts from he to you. It shifts from the third person to the second person. In the valley, there is an intimacy with God that can be experienced almost nowhere else. David shifts from talking about God to talking directly to God. He says, you are with me. It's your rod and your staff that comfort me. It's the valleys of life, the valleys of suffering that we often encounter God in a personal way that we never have before. And that doesn't mean we want suffering to come, but what it means is there is great comfort knowing that even in the midst of evil days, even in, even in the midst of intense suffering, there is a nearness of God that can be felt in the valley like no other place. And here's the promise of the great shepherd. In whatever valley, I will be with you. He's not distant from your suffering, but he's acquainted with grief. I don't know what valley you're walking through personally. I know the valleys that we just addressed in society and even in our denomination. I don't know what valleys you have walked through or will walk through, but I know in each valley, there's a shepherd who will comfort you. And when you're in the presence of God, the creator, there is no danger that you can fear. Because the only thing that can kill you for an eternity was taken care of 2,000 years ago. Jesus was crucified on the top of a mountain, which meant he had to walk through a valley. Except Jesus, in his valley, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken in the valley so that you could have the presence of a good shepherd in your valley. David then describes the equipment that the shepherd would use in the valley to comfort. He mentions your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These are the tools, the equipment that the shepherd would carry. First, the rod. The rod was a small club used to protect the sheep. It was a symbol of the shepherd's authority in their life. He would use them to protect it, to fend off animals or beasts, but he also use it to, to defend his sheep from themselves. He would use it to discipline them, to let them know when they're getting too close to the cliff. That was the rod. And to David, this instrument of protection and discipline was a great comfort. To know that God was protecting him from danger, the danger external and even the danger internal. The second comfort to him was the staff. The staff was a long, slender branch. It often had a hook. I think all of us can picture a shepherd's staff. The shepherd would use this in a way to comfort and guide his sheep. He would use it to, uh, when ewes had a baby, he would lift the lamb up to the ewe. If a sheep fell into the deep water, he would use it, the hook to pull it out, to pull a sheep from a thorn bush. He would gently guide the sheep as they were walking with the side of his staff. To David, this symbolized the compassion and guidance of God in our life. And the staff is also a great source of comfort. God comforts us and guides us. He pulls us to safety. He uses his spirit. He uses his word. He uses his people all to encourage us and to guide us. So these are all expressions of God's care in our life. As he is our shepherd and we are his sheep. 
And when David considers all of that, the conclusion is, I have all that I need. A joyful confidence in God. In these last two verses, David shifts metaphors, though. And he's going to create the exact same point, just using the metaphor of a gracious host. Another reason why we can have a joyful confidence in the Lord. So look at verses 5 and 6. Here's where it starts. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The scene is this triumphal banquet. The host is diligently prepared. This feast is just this abundant. The table is set. It's this victory feast. And the host is bringing in the victors, the guest of his banquet. And there's just this celebration. Now, why do I say it's a triumphal feast? Well, notice who is also at this feast. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, there's kind of two ways to think of this. Is it one, the enemies are surrounding and you're just like kind of naive and gobbling up food and it's like, they could attack any moment, but you know what, I, I think I can eat, like I can get one more bite of turkey in before they attack. No, that's not what's going on. More likely what David has in mind is the triumphal feast after a battle where the captives from the enemy are, are present, but they are defeated and they are feasting in triumphal celebration and victory. Not only that, he says, you anoint my head with oil. At a banquet feast, the host would anoint the head of an honored guest with oil. So at this triumphal banquet, there is honor. And then he says, my cup overflows. This is a sign of blessing, of abundance, of joy at this feast. Now, all of this, all of these descriptions are giving us a glimpse into the future feast that we will be at. A feast that is being prepared for the end. The wedding supper of the Lamb. And at the wedding supper of the Lamb, we will feast in the presence of our enemies, Satan, sin, and death. We will feast triumphantly because they have been defeated finally by Christ. Our great enemy will be defeated and we will be victors more than conquerors through him. Instead of shame, we will have honor because of him, our heads anointed. Instead of the emptiness of our brokenness and suffering, instead of pain and tears, our cup will overflow in his presence with blessing, joy, and life. That is what waits for us. That is the heavenly banquet that is being prepared for you and I. And this verse gives us a picture into what it will be. Now, here's the question. How do we get invited to that? How do we get an invitation to that feast? Well, there's an interesting story in Luke 14 where Jesus tells a parable. He's actually sitting at a banquet and he tells this parable where he says that a great host prepared this banquet and he sent out his servants to go and invite the guests. And he starts with these guests that you would expect to be there, the nobility of society. And one by one, each of the guests you'd expect to be there declines the invitation. So the banquet host says, go out and gather the poor, the lame, the maimed, the blind, Bring them in. And he says, there's even more room. So he says, go out even further to the rural countrysides, to people you would never expect to find in an environment like this feast. And as these unexpected guests come in, there's this amazing banquet. What is the point of that story Jesus is telling? What Jesus is telling us is that all those who will be at the banquet one day will have no business being there. They have no ability to repay the host for the great banquet. They have nothing to offer him. So then what then is the basis of their invitation? The basis of their invitation is on the gracious host. 
the gracious host who hungered in the desert instead of feasted at a banquet. The gracious host who didn't have his head anointed with the honored place, but instead had his head anointed with the shame of our sin and a crown of thorns. The gracious host who (coughs) drank the cup of God's wrath so that your cup could overflow. So that your cup could overflow in the blessing of his grace and not the emptiness of the pain of your suffering. The good shepherd who took on the form of a lamb and was slaughtered to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. That is the basis of your invitation. And that alone is the basis of your invitation. And when you see that, you will realize that all that's left for you is what verse 6 describes. Only. Only. That word, only. This is only what's left for you because of Christ. Goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And here's our hope. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Because of Christ, all that's left for you is goodness and faithful love. Because of Christ, you can have a confident, joy-filled hope that you will one day dwell in the house of the Lord. He is the good shepherd. He is the gracious host. Find your confidence and joy in him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you that on the cross you said, I thirst. And instead of receiving the cup of joy that we one day will receive, you received sour wine. And not just the sour wine that the soldier handed you, but you received the sour wine of our sin that freed us from the ultimate threat that we face. And God, now we are just dependent sheep walking through the valleys of this life, painfully aware of the evil and wickedness around us, painfully aware of the wickedness that resides within us. And we ask you as our good shepherd to be with us, to heal us, to satisfy the longings of our hearts, to help us to find our fulfillment in you. God, give us a joyful confidence that one day we who have no business being in the banquet hall of God will be there, not because there's anything worthy in us, but because there was something great done on our behalf. Lord, let us be people that walk in the green pastures with a heart of joy and gratitude to you. And let us be people who walk through the darkest valleys with a heart of joy and confidence in our Lord who is with us. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.